Hello there, welcome back in to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. I am David O'Gray and we're talking Catholic about the dangers of homeschooling. Yeah, the dangers of homeschooling. I don't know if you knew this or not, but according to an essay that was recently written in Harvard Magazine, it's actually a very dangerous proposition for you to be in charge of educating your own children at home. Yeah, it's dangerous. According to his essay, that the government needs, the government needs to step in right now and put this whole thing to an end and save children's lives and, and save the whole entire democracy. <laughs> Imagine that. So um, I'm going to be talking Catholic with, with David Charles Williams, who is a professional educator out of Canada. And he's really going to apply the, the Catholic organizing principle of subsidiarity to this whole thing and, and, and shake this out, see if it's true. So um, this is a podcast that I want you to really listen to if you are a homeschooler, if you're educated, um, interested in Catholic education or this Catholic organizing principle of subsidiarity. And, um, and let me know what you think. All right. Uh, and we're going to begin right after this eight-second introduction to Talking Catholic. I'm going to bring in David Charles Williams to uh, weigh in on this, this essay out of Harvard Magazine. And during that eight seconds, that will be uh, just enough time for you to click like, subscribe, and share. Also, hit that bell so you can be notified, um, get some notifications when we publish the next um, episode here on this YouTube channel. And... I'll see you on the other side. All right, David Charles Williams, welcome back on to Talking Catholic. Happy to have you back on. Good morning, Dave. Yeah. Hey, um, for those of you who um, have not seen David Charles Williams' um, other talk with us on Talking Catholic, just hop on to um, YouTube or Facebook and you can see us talk about more about his conversion story. Um, how he found his way, or his reversion story, how he found his way um, decisively into being a faithful Catholic and his experience in Opus Dei and um, a lot of other things there. So, yeah, please check that out. And David actually has a master's in educational psychology, correct? Yes. Yep. And um, and I, I mean, I, you, I know you've taught basically everything. What haven't you taught? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, never, I never taught Cal or, or chemistry. <laughs> That's good. I know you taught on, on um, pretty much every level: elementary school, postgraduate, graduate. So, um, so yeah, uh, happy to have you on to really talk about this subject because I was reading this article from Harvard Magazine. It was a professor by the name of Elizabeth Bothelet. Um, she's a Washington Public Interest Professor of Law and the Faculty Director <coughs> of um, Law School's Child Advocacy uh, Child Advocacy Program, and so. Listen to this. She says she sees um, risk for children and society in homeschooling. And she recommends a presumptive ban on the practice. She says that um, homeschooling not only violates children's rights, their rights to a meaningful education, and their rights to be protected from potential child abuse, I guess by being at home all this time and not getting out, um, being able to report things. But she also says um, that but this may keep them, homeschooling may keep them from contributing positively to a democratic society. And this, this Elizabeth um, um, Martha Lett, she says that we have, a, um, with homeschooling, we have um, an essentially unregulated regime in this practice of, of mm. parents taking charge of their, their children's education. What's your, what's your Catholic perspective on this? 
Well, the thing is that um, I think the real emphasis is on the term presumptive here, right? What are the what are we presuming? What are the premises of our, of our argument? Because I have um, an issue with respect to the history, the and the anthropology of this, as well as educational merit. Now, so here's the historical aspect. Harvard, its education department, our view on education was all born out of people, as we spoke about last time, landing on our shores um, without any kind of regulated regimes. They came here ready to build a nation. And their education system stems from that, stems from their ideas. And we had a population that was the most literate in the world, like 98, 99%. Um, none of these basically came from systemic, you know, watched systems. They came from people's desire to educate their children. And from those are born all of these elite universities. So we can rely upon, you know, our history with respect to that. Anthropologically, um, families being sort of an unregulated unit sounds a bit bizarre to me. It sounds like kind of a gulaggy kind of way of looking at families. Um, I admit that families have their difficulties. Family life is, 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 is not easy. But I have to say overwhelmingly that I don't find family per se as a problem for children. It's where they come from. It's like saying we can cure our, divor our divorce problem by eliminating marriages. It, mm. doesn't, it just looks good on paper. It doesn't really match up. With life. What I want to, to say about this with respect to education is to point out that not only have I had the role of a, of a teacher, but the role also of a tutor. Hmm. And this is important because I've always seen myself as supporting teachers. I respect what they do. And because I've done it in so many circumstances, I've dealt with kids with learning disabilities. Uh, troubled backgrounds. Um, I really respect people who inspire children. I've even helped tutor and teach homeschoolers. So I've seen the differences. So I think what tends to happen, and this is I think what most homeschoolers hear from people, uh, how do you socialize your kids? You haven't socialized your kids. Now, I went to public schools. And I'll tell you what our socialization <laughs> basically was. Uh, nobody really sat there with a plan of how they're going to socialize us. No, when we, when we had those 15-minute pee breaks that we call recess and then and lunch of playing in the yard, we talk about what we saw on the screen. We were essentially part of a commercial culture. We talked about the TV shows we watched. Very little did we talk about the books that we that we were watching or projects that we did with with, with, with our families. Um, we were pretty much a product not of, of, of the shows and commercials that we watched on television. And as anybody who's really watched television and from somebody who studied educational technology, um, you know, our television is not about the, the shows. It's about the message that they give in order to sell a product or to, to, to sell an idea. Um, so I didn't feel that kids were being socialized. And in fact, it was our parents kicking us out of the house to go and play. Um, it was more of a socialization or to 
play, uh, uh, join a school team and the like. And uh, uh, after the, the interview we had last time, a number of old school friends had uh, contacted me. And I'm sure the one thing they remember is that my mother volunteered for everything. And that was her way of really being involved in my, in, in, in my schoolwork. Mm -hmm. She saw my educators in this light. So I think it's important to understand that for anybody who's looking at education, we have to understand that education is about a person. And, and it has to have one basic philosophical model that we're not perfect, and, but we can move towards perfection. And so that's an ideal. Ideals are unreachable. It means you're always striving towards them. And so from somebody who's... Uh, taught business school, where I'm helping managers support people in the tasks that they do, or in giving people tasks that they're, that they're going to learn, or in allowing kids to explore things, and come down and become deep learners, and have self-initiation in what they do, and even their joy in trying to teach me stuff you want to show me. I think that, 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 that it's really clear that if you take a look at this thing from a systems approach, <laughs> there's a thing within systems theory called requisite variety. And if I don't have it and systems die it's a it's a little bit like when we're looking at sustainable development and we look at um at seeds right that if i like for instance I, my understanding right now is that the banana is a monoculture of of, of biotics and so if, if something goes to to wipe out a species of bananas they're all going to go unless we have those original seeds yeah. so coming back to the historical approach we we need to look at what, what is the birth of our schools? What is the birth of our, of our universities? And certainly as a Catholic, we know the history behind that, right? The cathedral schools and the yeah. beginning of the universities, right? And although people have this bizarre notion that somehow um, within the Middle Ages um, that, uh, that everybody had to sort of a toe a line, well, that just, just really wasn't true. It was the openness to those things. Uh, and taking a look at classical education of St. Thomas, the way he builds his arguments is because he's looking at Jewish scholars and Muslim scholars and people who have different perspectives. And he's, and he's taking the best of arguments. He doesn't set up any kind of straw man. He takes the best of their arguments. People can even argue that Aristotle is basically playing with these ideas, mm -hmm. but, but Thomas yeah. isn't. And so we, we built up a society and we could not turn around and, and say in the, in, the, in, in the 1600s that we were going to have this society. Nobody knew that. But just like the expression that I indicated before, don't mess with people who are not afraid to die, we have to understand that when people think about education beyond their lifetimes, when they think about all their projects, entrepreneurialism, how they're going to raise families, right? Not the village that raises a child, but the village basically because we landed there with five families. These are all my relations and friends. We went from seven to 1,700 over a period of time, past our lifetimes, because we desire for our family and our children in order to, to learn things. Within my experience, that when things come from on high, if they don't support and that's uh, Leo the 13th, it's about subsidiarity. If we're not supporting families as primary educators, supporting teachers as, uh, in local parentis, and that support that goes back and forth. And of course, it's messy. Anything dealing with a family is going to be messy. Yeah. But the, the beauty of it is that from those things is where we begin our parochial schools, where we begin our homeschool co-ops, where we begin the process of building institutions and then universities and a series of universities. Right. 
And yeah, I, th- a, think, I think and this. Quap- Sorry. I, th- I think this Elizabeth lady. I don't. You know. Of course, I can't say what her argument may be, but she she might say that. Um, I, I, she would say perhaps the 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 government, the system that you're saying that was built, does support um, the families and the parents by professionally training and licensing these teachers who go through lots of education, go through lots of licensures um, and, and certificates. They're the professionals. They're the parents are the professionals. Parents, they don't have this training. Yes, they're good at nurturing. They may be good at pro- um, providing. But these teachers have been trained in our system to educate your children in the best way. Why not allow them their opportunity? Why should, why should parents who don't have training be put in charge of educating the children who are going to go out into society and contribute to the system that's been built? Oh, that's a very viable argument. The thing is that um, for what I've seen over the years, I've seen teachers complain about, uh, about curriculum changes in ways that, 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 that are sort of very similar to retailers um, arguing about supervisors. Yeah. I know this store. I know my customers. Now, look, I, I do good business here. Why isn't the supervisor listening to me? So we have to ask ourselves, if we are training, giving people certificates, and then stop from using all of their creativity, because I'm in love with teachers. When we stop them from doing that, then we create problems. Now, I'm not going to name any names in this situation, but one time I was in a situation where I volunteered to help people tutor. And this was a school that literally was, it seemed to tutor almost a third of its students. I mean, it was like postcard to failure. And so there was a room with 60 kids all being tutored and material they, they were going through. And what I observed as I went from child to child, um, nobody that I'm asking can repeat the exercises that you're giving them. And I said, it's not your fault. These are, these are good problems and, and you're doing your best. And I said, these kids have some underlying problems that, uh, that need to be addressed. And so I, I humbly asked, I said, do you mind if I, um, if I test them? I can do a short test. It won't take up a lot of the tutoring time. I'll take a week. I'll go back, analyze it, write it up and send it back to you. And I think it might be helpful because then I can find out what's on with them, and then you can break them. So, so I, in, within the, the, the situation, you know, we were creatively working, you know, from the bottom up. These are our kids. This is the situation. Now, here is the problem. Once we did figure out the problem, okay, we then hit the curriculum wall. It was like, I have to go on to this other side. And I said this to the head of the math department. I said, but you realize if you go on to this other subject and they don't understand this, you're really fundamentally wasting their time because this is built on this. And if they don't get this, the next two weeks are a waste of time. We're serving them, right? And plus, mm. taken away from their free time by tutoring them. So we've broken a contract. We were supposed to help them, but we're not helping them. And he says, you know, that's very true, but my, my hands are tied. You're right, but my hands are tied. So, yeah. Certification, great. Licenses, great. But then trust your teachers to, to be able to sit in front of those 30 kids, which are different from the other 30 kids they have, yeah. you know, and be able to operate with, with, with some kind of freedom. So do you actually, does the system respect teachers or do they see them as automata? I, I think teachers are, are incredible people. They're not automata, right? Mm. And so what happens is that 
is that the, the differences that they come out with um, are going to actually be enriched. The other problem is that I've seen changes in the curriculum in, that actually make kids crazy. So one of the things that they, that they like to talk about is that, well, in this method, the kid understands the, 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 the idea behind it versus some, doing something automatic. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for kids understanding why things are supposed to happen, right? But when I do that one-size-fits-all thing, you know, you have kids. Are they the same? Right. Okay. So, so what happens is that I end up just making them feel stupid for something else, and they feel disparaged. So yeah. I spend weeks taking a multiplication problem that can be taught basically in half an hour. And so those that, that get it right away feel they're doing busy work. Those that don't think like a 30-year-old reconstructing multiplication don't understand what they're doing is they're filling in tables, so they feel stupid. And everybody else is sort of going like, I can hardly wait till the weekend. I can hardly wait till I'm a adult. Hardly wait till this is over. And so what have we produced in this? What we've produced is children, instead of being curious, are almost suicidal. I mean, they're turning around sort of going, I don't understand the connection between what, what, what I'm doing. So yeah. the thing that, that I'm saying is that if you have any kind of competition, and like I said, yeah, there's good homeschoolers, bad homeschoolers, good schools, mm -hmm. bad schools, good charter yeah. schools, bad charter schools, right? But we need, as communities, to be able to turn around and say, okay, we tried that. That doesn't work. We're not going to do that again, right? Yeah. Can every family homeschool? No. Can we experiment with it? Yeah. Um, you know, some families try it for a year, and you go, like, well, it's not for us. We'll do this, right? But any parent knows, just like my mom, you walk into a school, and you find, okay, this is the good teacher. This, these are the ones I want my, my, my kids to, to, uh, to, to be with. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so this idea of the scientific way of, um, I'm sorry, it's not a puppy mill. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the factor of, of what creates really creative aspects of education is not to disempower the parents. Yeah. So I think it's worth my while right now to to. To, to, to really get this principle of subsidiarity understood by people who are thinking about this. So I've already addressed the fact that, yeah, it may be hard, but it may be a great, and it's an opportunity if you're thinking about it, not forcing it upon anyone, just people to think about it and realize that there are supports out there. But the principle of subsidiarity is very, very clear. Whatever body can take care of something by itself, if it fails, and this is the danger that, 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 that the person who wrote the article is, is presenting, and arguably so, but if it fails, we buttress it so that it can be on its feet in order to be able to do that, and then we back off and continue. The, the, the growth of organizations that, that support it and work around it grow because of that. And as somebody who's taught management, that is the most powerful way things operate. And a factory, for instance, if you want to take a look at our factory system of education, but look at it with what a real factory is like, if I can have my managers and be such a way to empower everybody at every level to, to, to use their God-given intelligence, and I don't punish them for every mistake and we try things, I can literally have my managers become like consultants, literally uh, be in a situation where, where they're proud that they, have, that they have worked themselves out of a job. And so my management becomes inverted. My lowest level worker is thinking about this place like an owner. And I set the reward mechanisms in the same way. Now, that comes again to our issue of marking. Okay? We have a system 
of rewarding students by marks that don't have anything to do with how real life works. So I enjoy working with people and I enjoy the rewards of, of, of accomplishing things. But the group work that we give students and the way we mark them, no, we're marking them as individuals. So instead of creating the cooperation that the professional education is supposed to present, I'm creating not even a competition. I'm actually creating an every man and girl for themselves situation. And so these things need to be assessed. We can't just make them and then sit back and have nothing to say or work on the assumption that, that, that the parents have nothing to say. And the example I gave you when we were before we began the recording is that when I when I said to a homeschool co-op I, I could teach math, the reason they didn't ask me to do it is that when the parents basically had a doctorate from MIT in math, so didn't need little old me for that. You know this far better than myself. Right, right, right. Yeah. When I was a homeschool, when I used to work at Colby Academy, it's a homeschool here in the um, United States. Um, based in, in California, they have students across across the world, and so I was teaching uh, theology for them and some other religious courses. And uh, a lot of the parents um, who had their students in Kobe, they were homeschooling their children in other in, in a lot of subjects, but in some subjects they would outsource that to Kobe. Um, and so I thought I thought that was a really good system. United States, um, about three to four percent of children. Our, our families are our homeschooling. I think that number may have grown um, quite a bit during this whole um, Corona uh, virus, stay home, shut in, not send your children to school type of I thing. I think the fastest growing group actually are blacks. They're That's interesting. The percentage, the, the, the Latinos are, are, are larger and of course it's mainly white, but uh, I think the whites have I think doubled between 2003 and 2013. Yeah, that's interesting. And I like your point about um, subsidiarity. That, I mean, as you know, that's been a principle that the Catholic Church has held for a long time. And going all the way back to maybe maybe the 14th, 15th centuries, uh, you had a number of popes who, at that point in time when the Catholic Church, you know, they, they were the source of education. Um, they always We always held that parents are the first, that they have responsibility of educating their children, but the church is there. And the church saw the benefit of in education um, because they wanted to raise children up in the faith and help the parents um, supplement their children's faith. But when the government started taking it over, um, the Catholic Church, well, at least a number of popes, they, they you know, they, they blamed the Freemasons, which is, you know, which is which is interesting. They, they thought it was part of Masonic um, program to um, subvert the Catholic Church, raising children in the faith to taking children away to raise them in a secular system. And I think this is one point that this Elizabeth lady is starting starting to get to here. And I want to ping back on you and ask you about this idea of the importance of raising children with these democratic values that she calls. Um, if we have a system where if, let's say, homeschooling grows to maybe 50%, I don't know, um, is what's the cost of... Can she still sustain this important value that she has of raising children with democratic values if a large percentage of children are being raised at home? Because I think maybe, again, I don't want to speak for her, but by democratic values, I think we both know what she's saying. Touch on that for me. Just the importance of is raising children with this consistent view of what democracy is, is that more important than um, some alternatives? 
The thing about education is education is about a person, and persons are social by their nature. And so, therefore, what tends to happen is that if I teach the corporal works of mercy without the spiritual works of mercy, I'm removing the values from them. Mm -hmm. right. So a lot of times people will turn around and sort of say, okay, well, you know, you know, um, you know we, we don't want to hurt the environment. We don't want to be unfair to people. We want to have an economy that's not going to leave people out into the margins and so forth. And the thing is that, you know, you know what truly deeply worshiping Catholic doesn't want that, right? But the, the factor between the extremes of, you know, capitalism and rich and poor people working in, you know, child labor in factories and, and socialism that treats us all like, you know, we're all just the, the, like chips that need to be controlled by, by a central source. Um, Louis XIII subsidiarity works with a system called distributism, which some fail to understand is not really a form of capitalism. It, it, it understands that human economics is something that is natural to human beings. We, we exchange, we can't take care of ourselves. We work with one another in order to build the things that we have. And so those values are very important. So we can turn around and take a look at issues and say, well, you know, it's not really a, a Catholic or religious thing versus a secular. But we, and, and, and we can be true about that. But at the same time, these values came from somewhere. So instead of taking a look at human beings themselves as the measure of all things, what, what adjudicates is that I believe that I, I'm going to be judged by a loving God. Um, it really changes what I'm looking for. So when I have those, those the, the, like I said, historically, our forefathers who came here, right, they, I mean, they're probably the most anti-Catholic people on the face of the earth. Right. So, so let's look at it from their perspective, okay? I want to be literate because I want to read my Bible, right? Okay? And I'm going to work by these principles, right? And I'm going to work with, with, the, with, the, with the strength that I have in order to make sure that nobody interferes with that freedom of me educating the children the way that I want, right? And that's one of the reasons why in North America we have two confederations, right? States are sovereign. Provinces are sovereign. We did that because we negotiated to come together. My God, you're still exceptional. You, you are still pointing out to the world that this is how this was decided, not by committee. Yeah, you did it the messy way. And yeah, you had your conflicts. But hey, welcome to the human race. So <laughs> the factor right now is, 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 is that the, 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 the idea that somehow I need to get rid of this um, anthropological chauvinism to make sure that the world works in particular um, is, is just, it's just too pessimistic. Okay? Yeah, yeah. These families, whether they're going to elite private schools, whether they're being homeschooled and the like, they're looking for things like, you know, what does teamwork require? How do I teach them how to be prudent? Uh, I ask them to retest their ideas constantly. Uh, I want them to know how to, to deal with, with, with politics and entrepreneurialism. A lot yeah. of this is not in the curriculum. To have an understanding of the plastic and performing arts. You know, if you want a kid to understand an opera, you need to spend hours explaining the, 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 the libretto, explaining the architecture, explaining the form. And what happens when you bring them to, to an opera at the end of the year? Each one of them might not know the same things, but they begin to recognize this architecture speaks to me because this. Oh, the person made this gesture. That's what it means. Okay, here's the person. He's the base. He's never going to get the girl, right? What happens is that your own history 
And what is history? History is an artifact of your own people. Dead people are speaking to you in the very walls that, 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 that you see. Right? Yeah. There wasn't a farm here, and now there's a farm. So, yeah, there's a whole thing of like, okay, oh, they're not political. They're, they're po political by nature. But the factor is, is that when you make it familial, then it's easier to see the, 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 the family of, of man. Because the false idea is that, oh, we're taking care of, you know, the world. Well, yeah. if, if you put a Kenyan in front of me, uh, I, I, I promise that I will love them because of my values. But I would be lying to you to tell you that I care about all Kenyans, right? <laughs> I have an inbox. I have people that, 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 that I do. Other people come within that sphere. I have to take my values and encompass them, right? <laughs> and that's why we have things like, like confession and discussion because it's sometimes we don't do it well. And we kind of go like, oh. We, we blew that. And that's why we say, I'm sorry, and move forward. So yeah. these ideas that turn around and say, oh, we can get world peace once we, you know, indoctrinate you to think in a particular way and then worry about this and that and we'll take care of the rest. Um, to me, that doesn't respect the student. It doesn't respect the family. It doesn't respect the teacher that, 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 that's working for the family and, and for society. And it certainly doesn't see the potential of people coming up with something, like I said, for ancestors, a future that we could not have expected, okay? Because you didn't cut down the tree because you allowed those ideas to, 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 to come out. And a healthy society, you don't have to worry about it so much because a healthy society can absorb vice. An mm. unhealthy society cannot tolerate the least bit of dissension. So when crazy people come up, I don't need things like hate laws. No, when crazy people talk, you sort of go like, hmm. So you might not like your particular neighbor because you have some prejudice, right? But if somebody goes to kill them, you're going to call the police. You're going to stop it because, because you have these values. And then in the process of doing it, uh, wrong to hate that neighbor, but you but the conversation was had. And so I understand the deep values of where she's coming from, but it's a pessimism about these layers of society that somehow I can have this perfect system that I just fixed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That doesn't occur. I couldn't have that if I was raising chickens. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You, you, you responded to one of the points she makes, because one of the points that she makes is that Putting parents in charge of their children 24-7 creates a very dangerous situation. And she says it's dangerous because any situation you have authoritative control, um, when a person has um, power over the powerless, it always creates a dangerous situation. And, I mean, we, we very well know this is, this is true. I mean, we could just look at the, the abortion genocide itself. I think it's true. When you put a powerless person over uh, in charge of a powerless situation, I think sometimes, it, obviously, it is, it is a very precarious situation for a powerless person. But I think you, you did respond to her, her saying that, that, um, that, that this authoritative control over children will naturally mitigate itself out in society. You're saying that the values that society has, that situation won't really occur, is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is, presumptively, if I have conflict theory, I'm always gonna have an us in them. So what happens is I'm gonna belie the science and the nature of where people actually come from. And so it comes from a deep understanding that this man and this woman understand that marriage is a mission, 
that it is a sacrament, that it is a vocation, okay? Not just a lifestyle, not just a hedonistic choice, and that it's going to be difficult, right? And they have a value about being fruitful and multiplying, right? And every parent made that joke. Yeah, we prayed for you, but we didn't know you, right? Yeah. Right? And so there's a thing that's really bizarre about parenthood, right? That you will take a bullet for somebody who, five years before, you wouldn't choose as a friend, and yet they mean everything to you beyond your own life, okay? So, yeah, I can show extremes of bad families, but what I'm saying is that, that, that statistically, you know, there's no anthropological or psychological or sociological study that indicates that, that families basically are destroying their children. Now, but, as, as, uh, there is a myth about family. Sorry, there is a myth about family, right? And that's this whole nuclear family thing, right? Where I try to separate people from one another. But it's another worldview that, con that conflict theory makes more problematic. And that is that parents against children. No, they're organically coming from that family, right? And so it's families that seek school, that seek employment, mm -hmm. that, that uh, association. By having it constantly be a conflict, then I, I start talking about, oh, do you trust government? Do you trust corporations and so forth? My business students would make this mistake all the time. We gave them a case where a factory that's employing 60% of people are, is in this town. And they're going like, oh, you need to go on strike. And then they go like, but you are the town. <laughs> okay? <laughs> a factory is one element of it. The town is another element of it. Yeah. So you, it's, it's a win-win if you work together, but if you're turning around, no, no, we're the factory, we're the town. You're letting ideology blind you from looking at the data, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole factor of this is to really take a look at the fact of what is a human being? How do we, inter how do we interact? We cannot sanitize it any more than, 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 I, than I can, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, sterilize a human being in, in the sense of like, hey, boil them and they won't have any bacteria in them. There, there, there are more cells in your body that are not you than you. Uh, no, this is a messy affair. But the messy affair comes from the sense of stewardship. Mm. It, that is a basic family of these. And I find homeschoolers and people in elite private schools and people who, who make really good public schools and so forth, they're very open to that. Yeah, uh, they, they, they want these kids to socialize with other people. They visit prisons, they visit the poor, they visit the sick. But it's really important that it comes from family because kids have a sixth sense when something is institutional because something that, okay, I just do. But when it backs up a family value, then it sticks in forever. And, and the thing that's really important is that we need these struggles. And we need these struggles because it's actually struggling together that is actually the glue that where we're able to have a conversation with one another. You've seen this in, in, in sociological things they did in the 70s, where Palestinians and Jews had conversations. And the very groups that had those conversations, when bullets began to fly, the first person they wanted to meet to argue, basically, was their friend that was on that other side of that, that meeting, because they had developed those relationships. Okay? Yeah. And, and, and now that we're locked down and we're having teleconferencing and so forth, well, when's the first thing you're teaching human resources to your, to, to, to your students? You tell them, look, or your clients for the executive MBA, you turn to them and say, unless your group are actually meeting, having retreats, reflecting face-to-face, -face, okay, then your group, no matter how expert, will break apart. Yeah. Okay? So we need these interactions. This principle of subsidiarity is extremely important. And like I said, I understand their concerns. But 
what happens is that they're not going to get the outcome that, 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 that they think they're going to have. They work on the assumption that, oh, if somebody's faithful, then it doesn't match with science. But the, the thing is that what, what makes a Catholic different in, in, in that view is that faith is a substance that is supported by hope and love. It is a real thing, a real communication from God, something that we hold to. It's not an assertion. It's not, oh, this is my idea, this is my belief system. So psychologically, I can turn around and say belief systems lead to this kind of an end, and that's very true. But this is different with, with, yeah. with, within its regard. And so we cannot have the simple answers to complex issues. We need to realize the complexity of human beings and the complexity of human society. And what is interesting about the North American experiments is those associations, those freedoms to do things. And as a country, you guys went pretty far. I mean, you had a very, very bloody civil war. But the fact there is, is that you're, when, when, when you perceived that across the sea that there was a common enemy and you did something about it, yeah, you still have your problems, you're human beings. But the factor is that it's not an experiment, not at all, right? Mm -hmm. So you can think through things or you can think them away. And sometimes through scientism versus science, we stop thinking about things. And when we look around the world, we see in, in some governments, um, homeschooling has just been outright banned and other places has been regulated. One form of regulation, I wonder whether you, you would, um, how was your sense about this? Um, having homeschool parents submit their um, syllabuses or their lesson plans to the government is—is is that uh, where, where would you where, where is that on the scale of, of your, your thoughts of subsidiarism? Again, that one strongly depends. If you have a method of education and goals that differ very much from a trained teacher then you're sending a curriculum to people who don't understand it. And this concept that a teacher is a teacher is a teacher makes no sense. Okay. So one of the examples that, that happened uh, for me was that somebody said they had hired in their homeschool co-op a regular school teacher. And they said they had a problem because they were doing project-based work. Kids were at different age levels and different skills. And mm -hmm. I've had experience working in sort of a one-room schoolhouse thing. And that doesn't really, work. and so it was a disaster. Okay. Because the person thought, I need to set up these goals. But if the emphasis was on the project, and then you make a note of where the child is and where they go as individuals, and then the power of them as a group and how they work together, then you can, you can get a lot out of that. And one of the most powerful ways of doing that is actually team teaching. So when it comes to sending, bringing something to a school board, that has its own political agenda. And, mm -hmm. and like I said, it can have different kinds of political agendas. Okay? In Canada, there's supposed to be not governmental organizations, but we've eliminated in Quebec where we moved to part of the Constitution. So is it your mayor that's doing this? Is it, the, is it the state government? And in fact, I understand there's a controversy in your country indicating that it's supposed to be not constitutionally correct to have a, a national education system. But even in small private circumstance, you know, if I produce an incentive, like for instance, if it, you know, I pay for the system and therefore I control it. It's the same thing as like some really elite schools have, have robbed themselves of an education for certain people because football becomes a thing. So people who are going into that, the minute they get injured, we notice that their courses 
are nothing that, that's really sustained them. And yet, they're, they're lettered people. So we have to note what the reality is versus okay, what the test is matching. A test, by definition, has to be valid and reliable, has to test what it really is testing and, and do so consistently. And these are circumstances where you're not looking at the same validity because, you're not, because you didn't plan the same outcomes. And to force the families to have the same outcomes says these are not parents. These are administrators, basically, for the state. You want your family to be reduced, basically, to being, I'm just setting up an administrative system for the state. Because the factor is that they work on the assumption that if I give you a voucher, that that money is supposed to come to us. Right. It makes no sense. If Johnny isn't in your school, what do you need my money for? <laughs> right. Right. That's a good point. Um, as, as we wrap up, you know, some ed, some parents who are listening to this, who have maybe they've had some experience with homeschooling during this um, stay-at-home shut-in thing, or um, they have been outsourcing some of their homeschooling. You know, you never know where parents may be, but if they're listening to this and are really thinking about homeschooling in an upcoming school years, what's some of your, your ideas and best practices or um, someone who's been in education for many years, what are some of your, your thoughts uh, for them moving forward as they consider this? Well, for, for homeschoolers in particular, first best practice is that you need to pray about this and you need to have some pillow talk basically with your, with, with your spouse because it's very, very important that you both be in line with this. And we have to know what that means. And so it's very important, basically, you know, for husbands, especially if their wife is doing this, is to, you know, watch your health, um, how tired she may, she may get, right? Um, what supports are, 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 are necessary. The other important thing that most of these families do is that they will make a consideration about these in line with sometimes they go to a private school to give them the support or they go to retired teachers to, 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 to get supports mm -hmm. because they want their kids to have these interactions. Mm -hmm. When we came back to this idea of best practices and talked about the aspect of kids not being socialized, what I find overwhelming is that kids in public school, it's like they're aliens. I walk into a house and it's like, okay, Johnny, meet Mr. Williams, and they're staring at their feet, you know, like, you know, 30 meters away. And I'm sitting there seeing some homeschool kid, you know, half the age, who, who shakes my hand, asks me what I teach, and then tells me in great detail the things that they're interested in. So uh, I see successful socialization there, and parents have to make note of that. And also not to beat themselves up if they don't get things right. Um, to, to sit back, look at it, right? Now, there are programs people can sign up for. There are groups that people can join. You have an online environment. You just start with Google and find people. Um, and the other thing, and it's a bit like going to university, because when you open it up, that's why people go to university, so they can go to colloquiums, so they can join groups, and so they get more than just what's in the classroom. Well, essentially, homeschooling is precisely that, because you know you can't do everything. So you take advantage of museums, you take advantage of, uh, of, of the arts. You, and so what happens is that because you're bringing kids into the situation, and it is your family or a group of families, you'd be surprised how many people in society you turn on simply from doing that. When I was preparing kids for catechism, I went to some nuns that were running a place, and I said, I want to bring the kids here. Well, they went nuts. The stuff I was buying, they started giving me for free, and they shut down the whole museum just to bring the kids in, to show them the history of nursing in Montreal. Hmm. So, I mean, you excite people. I mean, it, and, and when you do that, going to City Hall, I think John Taylor Gatto was 
and guide us was not educational. I'm going to the garment district, or we'll see some guy working in a fish market. But when he brought kids there and they realized what people did and had to analyze it and, 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 and make a report about it, they, they just grew in their concern for other people. Yeah. And yeah. so these are the practices that, that families can see. What you need to pray about each child and ask, okay, God, what do you want me for this child? And the model that you have for homeschooling is the same one you have for, for any school. It's not a curriculum. It's not about materials. It's not about, you know, what it is, is that here's Johnny. What will he be like when he's 30? Okay. Will he have sound judgment? Will he have charity? Will he be, will he have strength to be able to, to, to follow through on stuff and perseverance? Will he be a, a, a slave to his passions? Okay. Um, so these are the things, right? Is he marriageable? Do, do, if, if I had a daughter, would I want my son to, to marry him? Is he employable? Can he keep a job? Does he, does he respect authority? Will he be a good leader? Yeah. When we think this way, then the world opens. Variety becomes quite broad. And, and with humility... You get advice from people, other families that have raised their children well. Um, again, speaking to people who work in these other schools. And so you make your choice and you say, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. Or, okay, we're going to spend more time basically at the public school because I think our public school is pretty good. Or we're going to look at this private school or we're going to have it supported. It's your choice. That's the thing about this. What I don't like about the article is that it's turning around and saying, no, 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 it's got to be illegal. No, no, no. <laughs> Give people choices and support them in their choices. Help them pass the rough spots. And you might be surprised that one generation from now that actually all the goals that, that this law professor was looking for might be in our society in spades. But it might be the opposite if we keep cutting those branches. Yeah, yeah. And I think you really nailed the major objection to the article there that she's arguing against parents having this um, uh, authoritative control, but she's really arguing that the government have more control than parents, at least in this area of their life. And so, um, yeah, I think you really hit there uh, on the imbalance of this whole, of our whole, of our whole angle here. Yeah, government messes things up as well, right? Sometimes they do a good <laughs> job, sometimes not so hot. And they want to tell you when they're getting their driver's license that they may not want government to be doing this, right? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, David Charles Williams, for coming on and talking Catholic. This is really a great discussion we had on uh, Catholic Thank education. You, and I love the principle that you raised about subsidiarityism. Um, subsidiarityism. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those words that yeah. is suitable. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, one, it's one of those principles that really attracted me to the, the Catholic worldview. Um, once I started digging into that, just just like, controlling things on the, the lowest you can go down. I think that's the best yeah. way. But people I, I want to ask you a question, though, from your yeah. background, because you talked about being a Mason, and I know that you accomplished community and everything, right? And it was conduct before before creed, right? And now you see the importance of creed, right? But conduct right. builds for right? So the the question you asked me before about about those about those values, right, is can, can, can you address, basically, what you found more enriching? Since you accomplished so much, right, what 
brought it in to, to make it go past that for you to see that this is more. Because I think that that invites uh, people who have this, the, I get the secular worldview to understand that we're not lopping something off. We're not going back because we're afraid of something. We're actually embracing all that is good. Yeah. I, th I think really understanding what true freedom is, that, I think that's what really did it for me. I thought, I thought freedom was not being... Um, I thought, uh, heretofore, I thought freedom was me deciding what I wanted to do anytime I wanted to do. I thought that was true freedom. And what I think what I found out becoming Catholic was that freedom is being who you created to be. Uh, and there's, there's, that's, that's true freedom. Um, being um, in the body of he who freely gave his life for us, that, that's true freedom. So that, that, that's, I think that's really what made all the difference in my life. But anyway, David, you can't come on my show and ask me questions. That's not that's not how to that's not how to get. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how that works. But I appreciate it. <laughs> but I'll come on your show. You can ask me questions, okay? That's funny. But thanks again for coming on. Thanks again for coming on to talk to Catholic. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. God bless. <laughs> the fool me, we can't get fooled again.